Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. And he swings, hits it high and deep and gone. Still going back. Out of here. Welcome to the big leagues. Deep to center field. And it is gone. Wow, his first big league swing is going to be a grand slam home run. Swing and drive. It's kind of a holiday for prospect nerds. I know it was exciting for you and I. We have the Rule 5 draft behind us now, so we can finally recap it. We did a preview. Of course, as it always goes, maybe a couple names that we discussed and then a bunch that we just didn't even reach it, like really have the time to get to or didn't even think to get to end up getting picked. And that's the beautiful aspect of the Rule 5 draft. The good news is we got everything you need to know on each of those players. So we're going to dive into that. And then we're going to talk a little bit about our favorite Pitcher autographs, and I was like, oh no, right? Everybody already is getting ready to turn the podcast off that collects cards. Oh no, pitcher autos. Yes, our favorite pitcher autos in 2023 Bowman draft. There's actually some really sick ones besides Paul Skeens and some that I will personally be collecting. So we'll talk about that somewhere in between the Rule 5 draft recap. But Jack, how was the uh, Rule 5 for you? And how excited are you to rank pitcher autos? Davison de los Santos? Yeah, I can't wait. I'm very pumped on that one. Like what? We didn't we didn't get into him because I was like, really? But I I guess the Guardians saw a big leaguer, uh, agree to disagree there. But and I love Davis and De Los Santos, but a big leaguer in 2024 is not what I have in the cards for him. Uh, I could eat crow. We'll see what happens. You're gonna be pissed at me because like. Once you do fully get me into the hobby, it's just going to be pitcher cards that I go after. And you're like, dude, like you don't know how to do this. Listen to me. And I'll be like, no, I like I like guy make ball go zoom. (laughs) I get it. And I know that's why. Well, good news for you is it's cheaper to get in on the pitcher autos because people don't collect them as much. I will tell you, we saw a really encouraging video 
of Daniel Espino with the Guardians, just throwing a flat ground. And I know that he's got a long way to go, but just to see him throwing, I think was really good in a setting where they're like, okay, let's let's put take a video and share this with people because it was zipping out of his hand. I mentioned that because that is a card that I collected in the past. So yeah, you, know, you go you go volume though, it's cheaper. You can find some really fun and good autos. Uh, but what's funny is on the rule five side, it's so much easier when you go pitcher, you know, the pitcher route. We always talk yeah. about that. It's almost always going to be dominated by pitchers. So we're going to talk about that because the first couple picks were pitchers. But then you get that out of left field, or I should say, like out of third base, you know, kind of pick where you get Davis and De Los Santos. And you're like, whoa, Akil Badu, whoa, like leap of faith. See if it pays off. We're going to break that all down and make the case as to why maybe it could work. Basically, what I think we should do, because what the big question ends up being is, will these guys stick, Jack? So we'll give the outlook on them. I'm never, I'm not going to say a guy won't stick, but we can talk about maybe how concerned we are as to whether they can stick or not. And by stick, it means, is it worth it for the big league team to carry this guy on the 26-man roster, or would they rather active roster, or would they rather... Try to send him to AAA and see if the team that left him exposed in the Rule 5 wants to buy him back at half the cost, $50,000, or if he clears waivers and he can go to AAA and you can hold on to him. Generally, fairly often, the teams will buy him back because you know they still profited 50 k on that. It's a no-brainer yeah. if you like the prospect. Every once in a while, though, you'll see that not happen. It usually is because the guy either imploded so badly or got hurt or whatever it may be. So we'll talk about kind of each of the players probability and there's an article breaking all this down a little bit more uh, that we'll link in the episode description and i talk about like kind of what those guys need to do from a data perspective maybe too that we won't get as deep into in this episode but we'll start with the number one pick and not a guy that we even really discussed and it's funny because the yankees just seem to start to get pillaged in these uh in these rule five drafts recently and especially their arms and they got pillaged again with the first two picks A's pick number one, the Oakland soon to be Vegas A's pick one. And they take Mitch Spence, right handed pitcher with the New York Yankees organization. And a little bit of background on Spence, 10th round pick in 2019. He had a solid season. I thought this was a unique pick because I think, you know, if they wanted to make two selections in this rule five, they could have probably taken somebody a little bit more impactful and then got Spence on the whip around. Like, I don't know if teams were lining up to take Spence, but maybe I'm wrong. And, and, and I just, I feel like this is a safe arm, relatively speaking, but also a very low upside arm. Like it's, it's a four, four seventy RA and triple a and 163 innings. Um, nothing really jumps out stuff wise, but he finished the year on a nice stretch. And I think that's, and we'll get into all that, but I think that's kind of what got uh, Oakland, a little bit more interested in Spence, but I thought it was an interesting first pick. Like last year, Thad Ward, Jack, he was, he was clearly the best arm this year. I think you could justify that some of the arms that went later were, were better. Uh, but of course it's personal preference. So you never see this. Um, and Thad Ward was a Swiss armor. knife. we knew that he could be a swing man at the major league level, and he was probably going to make more appearances out of the bullpen than he was in the starting rotation for Washington. That ended up being the case. He was just a long man. And that's what happened with Mason Angler, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, with the Tigers. Um, Kevin Kelly's a true reliever. I think mm-hmm. relievers are probably the most sought after thing. This was an unorthodox pick in that regard. Because Spence not only threw 163 minor league innings this year, 
he threw 130 the year before. So this guy is go get the ball and give him six innings. Mm-hmm. What do the A's need? Innings, regardless yeah. of talent level, they need innings. Yeah. And this guy's 163 innings. If you, you know, compare him to what the output was for major leaguers this year, he threw more innings than Justin Verlander, Christian Javier, Joe Ryan, Braxton Garrett, John Gray, Clark Schmidt, Josiah Gray. It, it's insane the number of innings that guy it is a throws. rare amount of innings in the minor leagues. That is a great point. You just don't yeah. really see that at all anymore. And um, the, the flip side of it is you also brought up a, a point I want to highlight here is generally, and it's going to be the next time that we talk about here with Matt Sauer, you might try a guy as a starter, but you, you select guys that, you know, okay, if it doesn't work as a starter, that stuff will play in the bullpen. So you have a contingency plan. With Mitch Spence, if it doesn't really work as a starter, like, sure, he could be a, you know, a a middle relief mop up guy, but that stuff's not going to play better in the bullpen. To your point, he's going to be a guy that eats up innings. And you know what? If he throws 160 innings for them at a 5-5 ERA this year, they need someone to do that. So I, I get it from that lens. My thing is, like, what's the big difference between Spence and James Caprellian? I, I think Spence could go. be better at this point with Caprellian's injuries. And I think that's, that's a good point. So you might as well see what you got with Spence. Like Caprellian's not giving you 163 in AAA, no. and he's probably not giving you much better numbers if at all. So I think that is a good point. And we talk about the trend at the end of the season. You're also putting him in, in an environment where, you know, he likes to pitch the contact for the most part. He's going to be able to, you know, kind of benefit from the environment there. But over the last eight starts of, of the season in AAA, he pitched to a 3-2-6 ERA. His ground ball rate jumped to 55%. So, I mean, you got to be encouraged by that. You look at the pitch mix. You know, again, it's it's kind of a cutter that he predominantly throws. And it's a gyro type cutter in the low 90s, 89, 91. He will mix in a two seam that I want to see him throw more because he got a lot of grounders with that too at 93. But he just doesn't throw that as much. And then he has a sweeper. All these Yankees guys have the same sweeper. It's very funny. Uh, but they all he has a low 80 sweeper with 15 inches of horizontal. Um, commands it pretty well. Filled up the zone at a 65% clip and a swinging strike rate at 20%. So that pitch will help him a lot too. And then he'll mix in a curveball. It was inconsistent and flashed a change up. Um, so I, I think that he could be an innings eater. You know, he could be a fringe five innings eater. And for the A's, seemed like this was the one guy in this rule five, that's really capable of like eating innings. Um, Cause it's either you take that pro- approach or you take the approach of like, this guy was hurt and teams are worried about it. And we'll see, you know, how he bounces back, but we could have a diamond in the rough here. And man, I think there are two or three teams in baseball that are taking an inning eater in the rule five draft. And this is one of those teams, you know, damn well. Yeah. It's, it's the A's if, if anyone's going to do it. Right. Right. Like Oakland did it to themselves, like yeah. roster construction wise, they did this to themselves and they went and got an inning eater because they don't have that guy in Las Vegas right now. And yes, Las Vegas is their AAA affiliate. I'm not talking about their future home. Yeah. It's fascinating to me. His mix is also funny because it's cutter and then turn the wrist a little bit more mm-hmm. sweeper and then turn the wrist a little bit more curveball. And then like try and get over with a sinker. Yeah. <laughs> like it's yeah. just bizarre to me. He's he's a he's he's a supinator, I guess. <laughs> that's so it. Like, that's it. Um just turn it a little bit more. It's and that's why I feel like it's it's mostly gonna be, you know, getting righties out. And we'll see how the lefties puts you know work for him. There's another guy that is very impacted by that and kind of the same thing that you're gonna laugh. Uh but also the last thing I'll say and kind of segues us into pick two. A's have probably scouted a lot of these Yankees arms a good bit because they've traded with them so frequently and most recently with the Montes deal. And even if it's arms that they didn't end up getting in certain deals, they're more familiar with. So 
while there may have been better arms to take, this might've been an arm that they were most familiar and felt safe with. And I think it was kind of similar with the Royals. You know, we talked about, you know, the trades that the Royals have made with the Yankees in the past, you know, going and get a Beckway and a couple of the other arms. I know Sakema ends up going in the minor league phase of the rule five, which is ironic, but um, the Royals end up going with the Yankees arm as well. And this is actually a, an exciting arm. I, I think that could be pretty impactful. Got a quick glance at him in the Arizona fall week, Matt Sauer, right-hander that I think has as much upside as any of the, the Yankees that were selected. And by the way, there's three of them, uh, but pretty electric fastball. He missed time with an injury. And I think that was where they felt like, uh, I don't know where he lines up. And also the Yankees 40 man is just always going to be, you know, pretty, pretty filled out, but he pitched to a three, four, two ERA in 68 and a thirds innings at double a, you know, you had some rehab outings here and there, but I was just focusing on the double a when they put him in the bullpen though, that stuff really ticked up. So I'll get to that in a second, but the fastball sits 93, 95, good carry averages about 19 inches of IVB. So it's a good fastball, uh, well above average gets a lot away from the zone. You could almost say it's, it's close to plus territory. And when he was in the AFL, that fastball was up to 98 when he was pitching in relief and sitting 96. That's a plus heater when he's coming out of the bullpen. So you've got that to fall back on. He's got a mid 80 slider borderline sweeper shape. Of course, another Yankee um, that he commands the heck out of Jack. So that's why I feel really good about his chance of being a reliever. You've got this fastball with good shape. You've got a slider that he's located for a strike more than his fastball at around 64, 65% of the time that held opponents to a buck 30 batting average. And then he'll mix in a curveball that kind of is his pitch to go get lefties. And it's good enough to be, I guess, the secondary pitch against lefties. So I, I think he's a swingman type. Like, I, I think he can turn over a lineup. He's 6'4", 230 pounds. He's mixed in a splitter, but that's a it's a work in progress. I'm curious where he lands. I think with some of the injury history and stuff, Maybe they do try him as a starter, but I think ultimately he probably lands in the bullpen. Yeah, I want to give you some background. How bad do the Royals need a starter? Like when we're looking at the rotation. I mean, like Dan, I just watched Daniel Lynch throw in the Dominican and Daniel Lynch looked really good. I'd rather he, see what Daniel Lynch can do, obviously, every day of the week. Yeah, he was just change ups galore. But as of right now, you're looking at Reagans, you're looking at Lynch. Uh, is Bubich healthy? Let's, you got Singer. I honestly don't know, but let's just assume that he is at some point, just for the sake of argument. I think Sauer can start games. Like I, I do think he's going to start games for Kansas city this coming year, but for some background, I knew who Matt Sauer was. And I was like, why do I know who Matt Sauer is? And then I went to the game lock and it wasn't 2023. It was 2022. And I want to walk you through a three start stretch in 2022 on August. Oh, 18th, yep. That's a, I forgot about that. Yep. You remember oh, go, it okay. Too. Floor is yours. Go. This is insane. August 13th, 2022 against Hartford. Four and a third, nine hits, nine earned runs, three punch outs, and three walks. Terrible start. Six days later, at Bowie, five and two thirds, two earned on five hits, punched out 11 and walked just one. But then August 25th, at Somerset against the New Hampshire Fisher Cats, the double A affiliate of the Blue Jays, went eight innings. Two hits, only run was a solo homer, didn't walk anyone. And in eight innings, this cat struck out 17 guys. 17. So there was a two start stretch where he punched out 28 and walked one in 13 and two thirds innings, 17 and no walks in a start. 
across yeah. eight innings. I he totally, can start games. <laughs> I totally forgot about We talked about that on the show last year mm-hmm. or two years ago. Holy crap. First of all, time flies. Second of all, that is the second you said that, that clicked for me. I mean, you don't do that by accident. It was funny, though. The next start, I think he had two innings and and got roughed up a little bit. And I think, two and two thirds, six earned, three Ks. Three I think walks. he was banged up, though, from there on. And so it's that's been the trouble for him. We've seen him succeed as, as a starter, though, as you pointed out, to succeed as much as anybody. And the reason why those starts were so good for him was the fastball carries insane when he's really got it. Like, it'll be up to 20 inches of induced. And then he's got that sweeper working off of it. And if it's a right-handed heavy lineup, good luck. Like he's going to carve through you. And I'd assume that it was a right-handed heavy lineup. So that side of it is, is definitely helpful for him. Uh, what's interesting is you know, he still mostly worked as a starter and, and pretty much only, only worked as a starter. Yes. We got short spurts in the AFL, but he was technically starting, I think in almost all of those spurts. And so we don't really have much sample of him relieving at all. Um, uh, so actually, let me correct that. I was looking at a separate split. He did come out of the bullpen in the AFL, but has not come out of the bullpen at all um, in 2023 during the regular season. So we'll, we'll see how they handle him. I'd imagine you make a good point, Jack. He's probably going to get a chance to start. Like Angel Zerpa and him will probably be battling it out for the last spot in the in the rotation. And he could potentially snag that. When the fastball shape is there, I mean, he's getting big whiffs with it. Um but the VLO, right? When he's starting, sometimes it's closer to the low 90s. When he comes out of the pen, sometimes it's closer to the mid 90s. And then some starts, he was more 93, 94. So that's kind of the question. And the shape sometimes was just kind of up and down. But when he's right, you're seeing 93, 94, 95 sometimes with 19 to 20 inches of induced vertical break. And that with the sweeper off of that, that's where you get a 17 strikeout outing. So I, I like the Royals taking a chance on that kind of upside. And if it doesn't happen in terms of a starter, I feel real good about that stuff out of the pen. I think so too. And it, like I was doing the flick the glove forward thing with, for the YouTube crowd. I, I think a fastball out of the pen plays like that. If it's a 20 IVB fastball that just works across two innings and, and he can see seven hitters in two innings and get her done. Like yeah. you don't have to turn the lineup over, especially one pitch guy doesn't have to turn the lineup over, but I, I think it's going to be a feel thing. And I do think that he can fill a variety of roles. I think the best case for him in Kansas City is what we were talking about. Best case for Thad Ward in Washington. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And, and you know, the last thing I'll mention is it seemed like for me, a lot of the teams that made selections in this rule five were looking for trends. Right. Where how did this guy finish the year? Did he figure something out and like, you know, kind of that upward trajectory? And I felt like Sauer kind of had that. Upward trajectory as well. We just talked about the same thing, you know, with the first pick. But Sowers last five starts of the season because he got a late start too with with some some arm issues. Didn't really hit the regular season with Double A until the end of June. And over his last four starts with Double A Somerset, he went twenty three innings, twenty three and two thirds innings, twenty nine punch outs, eight walks, six earned runs, five of which came on home runs, solo shots. So that's really the only way that he was getting burned. He wasn't walking guys much. He was filling up the zone. Um, yeah, and you, you throw to a 2-2 ADRA over your last four starts. I mean, that's going to be really encouraging. And I, I think that there's some good things here and some things to be excited about. And if you look at a lot of the the struggles or like some of the bad outings, those came early on when he was getting his feet back under him off the injury. And from a workload standpoint, you know, to close out the year, 
here's the pitch counts, you know, before the AFL where he ended up throwing more innings. So he did get a good workload and still 95 pitches, 98 pitches, 96 pitches, 82 pitches to, to close out the year. So, I mean, this guy threw, uh, he was built up at the end of the season. So I think he's going to get a shot. And the more you kind of talk me into it, he's going to get every shot to be a, uh, a starter for this Rose team. But I do like the fallback of a reliever with his, with his arsenal. Yeah. And that's the kind of guy that doesn't get returned. Like, I don't think yeah. he throws yet for the Yankees. No. Cause even if he struggles out of the bullpen, I'd be patient with him. He has, exactly. he has multiple, like he could struggle as a starter and then he could be a little bit sporadic as a reliever. Like he'd have to suck as a reliever too. I think oh. it'd have to be health command disappears. Like I, I think he's one of the more likely to stick. And I'll tell you, same scenario with this next guy that we're going to talk about. I think it's very unlikely that this guy gets returned. Yeah. So leads us into number three, Anthony Molina, uh, who comes over from Tampa Bay uh, to the Rockies. And I think the reason why he won't get returned is because he will have every chance to just, or I should say he will be given so much leeway. He oh, you can't pitch a course. <laughs> like, you know, okay. Yeah, a fastball heavy guy getting beat up at cores, whatever. They don't care. I don't think they're going to care at all. Molina is one of the younger guys, if not the youngest guy besides Davis and De Los Santos selected in this draft. The, the youngest arm at 21 years old. Um, I've seen a lot of him because he was in the Southern League and uh, I've seen him in person. Uh, he's, he's definitely been a guy that's been able to pitch above his age for a while, but nothing really jumps off the page. It's a mid-90s fastball. You'd think it would play better, but it just I, it's a it's a tough one for me to crack because it's 18 inches of vert, but he gets 10 inches of horizontal, which kind of makes it a little bit easier to pick up. And he fills up the zone at a 70% clip. It's a short arm delivery, which could help it play up at times. But I also think sometimes uh, hitters kind of identify it somewhat easily. So I think for him, you would benefit the most from killing some of that horizontal movement. Uh, and, and we'll see if he's able to do that. But the question is, you go to cores that actually kills vertical more than horizontal. I'm I'm interested in that. Like I don't know how this fastball is going to play. It is 95. He is 21 years old. And for from a number standpoint, he threw to a 4.37 ERA and 55 and two thirds innings uh, at Double A or sorry at Triple A Durham and a five a 4.50 ERA in 122 innings overall. So he actually got better in Triple A Durham. Uh, held his own there as a 21 year old. And it's just a decent pitch mix across the board. I don't think that there's a plus pitch. I don't think that he has a bad, bad pitch. It's an average fastball. I think that could be above average with a better shape. Slider and changeup are probably average. So you have three average pitches. You have a young arm. You have good command and a slot that sometimes it can, you know, the stuff can tunnel well off of. We'll see how it it pans out. That's the big thing for me is the command and the 70% strike rate on the fastball. And I was looking at, you know, batted ball profile just simply on fan graphs. And, you know, pretty much every stop, he has been a ground ball oriented pitcher. Ground ball rate will sit around 40% north of 50 and high A in 2022. But double A was sporting a 42% ground ball rate, 40% ground ball rate in triple A too. Does it make any sense to turn that thing into a sinker at 93, 94? I, I think so. Um, so it's just, it's like, just, it's, you know, I don't, the one area where I can't speak to it as much is like, how hard is it for certain guys to just turn that thing into a sinker? Some guys, maybe not at all. He is young. And I, obviously the Rays have pushed him aggressively for a reason. He He's probably got good makeup and he's probably a, a, a cerebral arm. So I, I would try it. Yeah, I'd probably try it. And let me just say, not a single stop 
in his minor league career did he have a, a walks per nine clip over three. Like the highest walks per nine clip I see is in AAA when he was walking 2.9 per nine. That's excellent. And the yeah. Rockies need guys like that because the last thing the Colorado Rockies need on the hill are guys that are going to go an inning without finding the strike zone. Yeah. He's yeah. just going to get balls in play. Nolan Jones is going to command right field as good as anybody in baseball. I'm being sarcastic, but <laughs> Brenton Doyle is in center field. That really helps. Like, yeah. They are assembling a really strong defense with McMahon at third, with Tovar at short, with Doyle in center. Like, they just need guys that can get through seven if the defense is there. Yeah. No. And, and this is kind of another like guy that needs to eat some innings. And I think he can. And I think you bring up a good point that there's the floor is high because he can fill up the zone and it, none of his, none of his pitches suck. <laughs> he's just got a bunch of, you know, he's got three at least average or close to it pitches like that. That should what? play when you command things. Well, I would love to see, I think the four seamer is still beneficial. Like I, I think he should still, have that in his in his bag, but I would love to see him mix in a sinker because he is a high release guy. He's six three release, and usually from that bucket and above, sinkers are going to play better from there. That's just the way it's it, it is. Like lower release four seamers play better generally. Higher release sinkers are going to play better. It's a higher release, and I think now you compound cores. They might be looking at him and saying, "Hey, we just got this twenty one year old arm who has good command, and all we got to do is tweak the arsenal a little bit." And, you know, he could be great or they don't tweak the arsenal and they just say, hey, he's got a decent three pitch mix. We think that, you know, he can continue to hone in on some of the things with that within that arsenal and, you know, he'll be good enough. So I think they've got a back end of the rotation arm. The thing with Molina, though, is if he doesn't have the contingency contingency plan as much as some of the other guys. Like I no. wouldn't say he is as um, I don't think he adjusts to the bullpen as well as some of these other guys. Uh, I think That's it's fair. kind of starter or bust for him. And so that's ways. fair. I do think that he can be a starter. I also think that he can be a long man and the Rockies more than any other team in baseball need long men. And and I want you to think about last thing on Molina. I want you to think about the team that picked him. What happens at Coors Field that really doesn't happen anywhere else? Games get out of hand early, like more so yeah. than anywhere else in baseball. There's a six run difference in the second inning because shit just happens in Colorado. And and that is like, I'm not going to give you empirical data to back that up. But if you've watched, you know, any game at Coors Field, you know that it's eight nothing after two. And that's just how baseball at Coors Field works sometimes. Yeah. So if he can throw three through seven in those types of games, regardless of if they're on top or if they're trailing. I mean, they need those guys more than any other team in baseball. No doubt. No doubt. I, I think it's an excellent point. And again, he's so young that. He could have another tick up. He could find like there's so many different things that could change. And I like that exciting aspect of of things, too, with the durability, the youth and and maybe a little bit more projection here. So last thing I'll mention, killed about two inches of horizontal over his last like four or five starts could just be by chance, but could be something to, to monitor as well, because, um, you know, that fastball play a lot better at 18 and, and eight than 17 and, and 10 uh, for talking yeah. about vertical and horizontal movement. How do you actively do that? Do you try to like baby cut it? I don't. I, that's I. that's a little bit about my that's that's kind of the next thing I'm looking forward to doing. I want to like just go in a pitch lab and just like just ask a million questions. But, you know, with hitters, I'm able to, you know, being able to have done that a few times, like I can answer those questions. I'm very interested in that. But it's it's got to be a little bit about the release. It's got to be a little bit about the way you grip it and um, maybe the way you rip it and and certain things probably for different guys. Um, 
But that is a fascinating thing that I, I'm curious how malleable that is for, for some of these pitchers, but I'm sure it's different for each guy. Next up, White Sox. This was so Shane Drohan they take out of Boston. And Drohan was a name that we've seen floated plenty because he's a lefty that, you know, had some nice stretches and you know had a little bit of prospect intrigue because he was in a system that doesn't have many arms, uh, at the, especially at the time over the last couple of years. And he had some nice stretches, but he's the opposite of everything I said earlier in terms of getting guys who are on a positive trajectory. He couldn't have been on a worse trajectory heading into the offseason in the rule five draft. Just to set the scene. So he's a lefty, pitchability guy, really good changeup. But the pitchability started to go away. And when you're a pitchability guy and the pitchability goes away, then it gets a little gets a little murky. So he dominated double A to the tune of a 132 ERA in 34 innings. Then in 89 innings in triple A, following that, a 647 ERA and a 186 whip. He walked 15% of batters over his final 15 appearances of the season. But he is a 6'3 lefty, low 90s fastball, plus changeup. Like his changeup is probably the best changeup of any player drafted in the Rule 5. Um, that held opponents to a, a 150 batting average and a 23% swinging strike rate. But he only landed that pitch for a strike 53% of the time. So if your best pitch is a coin flip, like that's not good. Uh Got a fringy cutter and slider that put up good numbers left on left, but righties, he pillaged it. He can't use it, but it works. He can use it left on left. So he has the way to get righties out. It's just mask the fastball somehow and then change up. Maybe mix in a cutter here and there. Then he has the way to get lefties out, which is fastball, cutter, slider, and the cutter slider played fine left on left. Yeah. Where where does Drohan fit, fit in here? I don't know. Like, what do you think the White Sox thought process is here is trying him as a starter, trying him as like a middle reliever. He's not going to be a high leverage arm. Are, are they hoping that he sees a tick up in, in velocity? To, to me, I thought, and again, I know that he was one of the more common names floated. And we talked about him in the preview. And I think in the preview, I said, I wouldn't take him. And I, I, I just still feel that way. I, I, I think that there was a lot of other arms I would take. So just looking at the roster resource right now, it's Dylan Cease, Eric Fetty, Michael Kopech, Mike Soroka, Tuki Toussaint. <laughs> and then I, I think Drohan would be the six. Davis Martin having TJ sucks. That does um, suck. That sucks. But Drohan, I, I guess, is in the bullpen with Davey Garcia and Luis Patino and Jimmy Lambert and Jesse like Spot Schultz. starter. Those are those guys are all like kind of failed star or failed they're starter. All, they're all kind of the same guy. They're, they're failed starters that are relievers and spot starters. So and like all respect to Shane Drohan, I just it's 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 hard for me to understand the intrigue when a guy's walk rate more than doubles. 7% in AA to 15% in AAA. And I get the ABS and all that stuff, but... Okay, but double? Yeah. Like Give you two, three ticks. Yeah. Yeah. And then the batting average against, a buck 61 in AA, 289 in AAA? Oh, dude, I got some numbers on that. What I do think is, you know, lefty, they needed one. Because you have Crochet, who's... You know, back off injury and we'll see, you know, how he looks. Yep. Tanner Banks, I won't pretend I know much on him. And then that then Drohan's the next lefty in there. So 
he's probably the only lefty that has a chance at starting. So that's probably what they're looking at. And then of course you've yeah. got Eater, but he really hit a wall, you know, after the trade from the Marlins to the White Sox. So um I I think that was their angle. And if you look at the rest of the rule five, I don't think there was another left-handed pitcher taken. So maybe they just really wanted a lefty and they figured, hey, well, this guy's had some really good stretches. He has some intrigue. We've seen him have some good stretches in the past in the minors that change up plays. But on the flip side, last 15 starts, dude, this is the crazy part. Or actually, let, let me cue this up to the end of. Well, while you cue that up, I'm just going to ask you like real quick who you would prefer Drohan over. And I'm going to go through the the projected AAA rotation right now. Um, on the big league staff on opening day, Eater or Drohan? Eater really struggled, man. But I think Eater just has so much more upside. I guess the way they figured is like, okay, if we take Drohan, I, I won't answer them all this long. Yeah. I, I, if we just, if we took Drohan, it gives Eater a little bit more time to get ready. Okay. And uh, given it, so I'll say, I'll say Drohan right now. But again, like if you throw Eater into AAA, is he going to do worse than what Drohan did? Like, right. I'd lean Eater, honestly. I'd lean Eater. Mena or Drohan? Mena. Schuster or Drohan? Schuster. Schultons or Drohan? Schultons already threw like 80 innings for them. So I go Schultons. Yeah, I go Schultons. Nestrini or Drohan? Nestrini. Sean Burke or Drohan? Sean Burke. Yeah. Like it, it's crazy to me. Matthew Thompson, Jonathan Stever, all these guys I think are you know, better options on opening day. Yeah. Maybe not Stever. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm with you. And then when you look at the last 15 outings to close out the season, fastball, opponents hit 400. This is 153 plate appearances. 400. 523, 750. That's mm. 48 for 120 with nine home runs, 31 walks, 28 strikeouts. And I, I really don't like piling on guys like this. Like I, I always think about like there's a Shane Drohan out there and like he's a human being that, you know, is about to get an opportunity to pitch in the big leagues. And I hope he succeeds. Like I hope he sticks. I hope everything goes well. But just from like the doing our job and just like analyzing it standpoint, I, I I don't, I don't totally get it. But again, the, the the White Sox were far from the only team that were in on this guy and, and interested yep. in this guy. So clearly there's scouts out there. There's there's people out there that maybe see something I don't. But fly ball pitcher that his fastball gets gets barreled all the time. And then, you know, the cutter and slider are really only usable left on left. And that leaves him with just the changeup. You know, that's it's a tough sell. It does help that the changeup opponents at a buck 50 against. But again, the pitch was a coin flip strike for him. So something's got to change and I don't know what that's going to be. I don't know if he starts using the cutter instead of a fastball. I don't know if he, you know, adjusts his arm angle and slot to make things more difficult. I don't know. The white Sox clearly saw something. They have a plan and I'm interested to see what that looks like, but I do think there's a chance he gets returned one more before we, we hit a quick break. Now this, this was a little bit of a surprise, but also not totally a surprise because on the last episode that we did talking rule five, the preview, I mentioned that I thought Nassim Nunez could be a pick. And I, I, even when I said it, I was like, "Ugh, like it doesn't sound likely, but that's just the, the rumblings I, I kept getting. And sure enough, he gets picked and I can talk myself into it or out of it. So I want to, I'm curious to get your thoughts. 
first of all, I love Nas Nunez. And if you're a Nationals fan that's just tuning into this, you can go check on the, on the call up. Uh, older episode with Nas is awesome. And then we did a live breakdown of some of his best defensive plays. That's also was awesome. And you can check that out in the article that's linked in here. I, I embedded that YouTube video. He He's so funny. Um, my favorite thing that Nas said was I, I had one of his, his plays in there. He backhands it in, in, in the video, makes a crazy throw. And Nas just goes, yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I was just like, that's so funny. But he's a confident guy. He's fun. He's going to be, fans are going to love him. But for the Marlins, it was surprising because yes, he doesn't, he's not a big, big bat, but you know, they don't have a ton of shortstop depth depth. I know that the nationals have CJ Abrams, but I think for them, they're looking at Nassim Nunez as one, they could take him from a division rival, but two elite defender at shortstop from day one. Like he's a big league plus defender tomorrow. I think he's arguably the best defensive shortstop in the minor leagues. He was 52 for 59 on stolen bases as well. And he walks a ton. We, I think we, when we talked about him, you went through like the OPS at each stop or something. Like I think there was something like that. And we're like, oh my gosh. Went yeah, to the slug at each stop. Yeah. Yeah. And that's going to be the problem. And it's like, I don't think he's going to slug at all. But if he has a 600 OPS, which is a really low bar, obviously, off the bench as a elite base stealing threat and an elite defender at short, second, third, wherever you stick him, might be worth the roster spot for a rebuilding Nats who may, might hope that they can unlock something offensively? I think this guy's worth the roster spot on most teams in baseball. I think there are five or six teams that, you know, w- would be better off not rostering uh, Nassim Nunez. And those teams, I think, already have a Nassim Nunez adjacent player. Like, I view this guy in a very similar light to Jorge Mateo. That, that was what I was thinking. And Mateo's going to have better spurts because he has more power. Sure. But I think the 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 pits aren't going to be as deep or steep because Nunez walks. Yeah. If you like Mateo, if you like Geraldo Perdomo, if you like Edmundo Sosa, and Sosa does not walk. If you like those three guys and you think that they are worthy of a roster spot on your favorite team, you would love Nassim Nunez because he is cut from that exact cloth. And I love those guys. I want that guy as a third middle infielder. I think Nassim Nunez, he's not going to be one of the best third middle infielders in baseball, but he's going to stick around for way longer than you may expect when looking at the baseball reference page of the Fangraphs page because he's an elite defender. You know damn well he could play an elite second base and an elite short. He might be the best defensive second baseman in the sport if he's over there. So there you go, man. Like Somebody goes down, you need him there for two weeks. Yeah, he's going to hit ninth. Who cares? He's going to walk. Things are going to happen. He's going to walk and he's going to defend like nobody's business. And when he walks, he's a threat to get himself in scoring position for the top of the order. This guy is a baseball player that transcends the fan graphs page. And that's what I love about him. Well, so I I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, Brenton Doyle and and look, I I don't know if he's going to be as proficient. I don't know if the the F4 value goes the same um, in in terms of center field. But if he's playing, if he has has to plug in a shortstop or second base or whatever, like it, it could. Brenton Doyle. At a 43 WRC plus, that's a five fifty or five ninety three OPS, and he was a a one win player in the eyes of F four. Um, yeah, I I think he can be something along those lines. I mean, we're looking at guys like Nick Allen with Oakland, who got one hundred six games a run. He had a fifty five WRC plus, and he doesn't bring speed, and you, know, you don't really get as much of the dynamic ability as a Nas Nunez. I'd rather see what Nick Allen can do. Uh, what Nas can do. 
or sorry, I'd rather see what Nas can do instead of Nick Allen. Thank you. Um, Bryce Turing, a guy that I was really excited about. 585 OPS. He gave you a positive war, but why couldn't he do something similar to what Turing did, but with less, you know, less run and 26 bags played great defense at second base. And you know, the difference is Turing slugged 300. I think Nunez probably slugs even less than that, but he's going to get on base better than a 285 clip. So it's a low bar. It's a unique profile in the rule five. But I think it's one that if you're in a position like the Nationals are, you look at the organizational depth chart. There's not a lot of middle infielders that you can get super jazzed up about. Brady House is going to be playing third. Uh, I, I think it makes sense in, in a lot of ways. So I think it's a fun one. Uh, and by the way, Mateo, what was it? A five, just over a 600 OPS, 32 bags. He was a positive war player. So if you're able to get something additional out of him, though, if they're able to unlock something offensively and he can even be a, a high 600s OPS guy, he could be a, a two-win player. And, and again, I, I know that yeah. sounds boring, but this is the Rule 5 draft. <laughs> wow, way to just diminish the entire pot. Um, no, you're not, you're not finding your next superstar. It's not probably not going to happen. And yeah. I, that's boring to like some people. I think it's really fun to be able to just pluck that guy from somebody and pluck two, two wins. Yeah, a hundred percent. No, I, I think you're looking for positive war players. And I think if minor league baseball had war, the narrative surrounding Nassim Nunez would be a lot different yeah. than it is. Yeah. Um, because you would see that he is a positive war guy for how, you know, I guess bad the WRC plus is or how low the WRC plus is. So were you surprised by that pick before we we move on to the next one? Um, like, I guess because that's a, a name with brand recognition and he was the Futures Game MVP, like it it incited an emotion from me. But as soon as I saw the pick, I was like, good pick. And the longer that I sit on it, I say, good pick. Yeah. I think if I was a GM, this is the kind of guy that I'm looking for in the Rule 5 draft. Yeah. The last thing I'll say on the on the other end of the spectrum is he's going to need to to make some you know improvements bat to ball wise. He has about average to slightly above average contact rates, but his his exit velocity of I think average exit velocity was 84.8 would have tied Andre Jimenez for the lowest in Major League Baseball. That said, there's he's not below the floor. So that is good news because he's going to be one of those guys that's always going to be at the bottom. Um, so if he can just find a way to spray some more line drives, maybe he even scraps the the switch hitting because the left side is a lot better than the right side, or at least it was last year. That could be something that helps him too. So there's a lot of different ways where maybe he can squeak out a little bit more, um, a little bit more value there. So five more picks to get to. And of course, we're going to talk about uh, the best pitcher autos on the other side of this quick break. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, Jack. So before we get to the other five picks in this rule five and actually a couple arms I'm really excited about uh, that I thought were some nice steals. Let's talk about some arms that could be nice pickups in Bowman 2023 draft. And we talked about it on the, on, on the open. No one likes to collect pitcher cards, but then all of a sudden you start to see like people get excited about them. And like, it's like a guilty pleasure almost. And 
I think that pitcher cards are going to start to come back a little bit because of how much faster these college players are climbing, how exciting some of these guys are, and you know how much faster they're just climbing through the the minor leagues. Um, you know, you, you see them a little bit quicker, they get to the show a little bit quicker, and and I think that makes it a little bit more exciting uh, to be able to go collect some of these cards of of guys that can probably get to the show cl- quicker than the bats, which is a big part of collecting these prospect cards, especially when it's draft and the draft just happened. So you and I are going to go back and forth real quick. We're going to do a a very quick snake draft. Obviously, whoever gets the number one pick is going to you know, have it. We're going to do it where it wraps back around and you get back to back picks because that'll make it more fun. And we'll see who has the best rotation. We'll go five each. See who puts together the most exciting rotation. Again, it's probably going to be whoever has pick number one, but we'll, we'll try our best to make it close. Yeah. Uh, there's some fun autos in this, Jack. Like everyone's talking about everyone's chasing, you know, the top hitters. You got the Langfords and you've got so many other guys that we've talked about in previous episodes. You've got the Tom Brady and there's some special inscriptions on that Tom Brady expose card that I know has a massive bounty on it. And people are going to be going after that, which is it's a really cool thing to have a Tom Brady autograph in this set. I often forget that he was drafted to play baseball. And of course we're getting reminded by it, but at the same time, it is a really cool aspect of what they're doing. And it's going to be fun to see people chasing after that, but not everyone's going to pull the Wyatt Lankfords and the Tom Brady's. And if you pull a pitcher, I want to let you know that it might be good news. So here are some of the names that might be good news. Jack, I'll give you the first pick. No, we can't do that. Like, this is the Pat Ewing Knicks lottery. This is what's going on, or the LeBron 2003 NBA draft thing. All right, I'll take I'm going to ask Siri, um, pick odds or evens. I'm going to ask her for a number between one through 10. Even. Okay, so if it's even, you get skeins. If it's odd, I get skeins. (laughs) Hey, Siri, pick a number one through 10. It's going to be eight, by the way. It's 10. Let's go. All right, Paul Skeens is a... (laughs) Uh, I don't even know what team what my team would be called, but welcome to the squad, Paul Skeens. Welcome to the good guys. Uh, How about that? I'll give you back-to-back picks here. Okay. Um, I want Hurston Waldrip, the uh, right-hander out of Florida that has flown through the Braves organization. He ended the year in AAA. Yeah. Does he crack the opening day well, roster? I And yeah. Thopolis alluded to it, right? You, you mentioned that he on did. the show. He did, yeah. I think I retweeted that. But Alex Anthopoulos, um, he pretty much said, like, He's, he's going to have a shot. Like, you're going to see him in 2024. That's what he said. Um, and then Bochy said about Wyatt Langford, it, we're going in to spring training with a competition, which is sick. And that's why Bowman Draft, like, it's, it's, I think it's as exciting of a time as ever to be collecting these guys because they're yep. getting there so quick. 100%. So I go Waldrop. Uh, I think that splitter gets out two times through the order right now. On a world um, champion contender every year. Yeah, exactly. So I go there. Um, I'm not going to go too crazy here i'll I'll double up with noble meyer right-hander high school right-hander from the marlins i was thinking about getting edgy and unique and underground indie alt music (laughs) but i decided not to noble meyer like he is skin and bone and yet he throws 97 98 so give me some muscle on him the marlins know how to develop pitching especially from a very young age and i think noble meyer can turn into an excellent pitcher so you went skeins I went Waldrop with Atlanta and Noble Meyer with Miami. Yeah. And, and I realized I like didn't even talk much about the Skeens pick. Obviously, it's a no-brainer. Um, yeah, 100 with one of the best sliders in baseball already. Yeah, and, in the developing and they're not going to waste like any bullets there at all. In the I don't know, like, man. Let's see him in Indianapolis for a little bit. 
He's going to be, I think he's going to get, yeah, I want you to see him in Indy, but I think after a few starts, it's see ya. Um, he's gone. And I think that part of it is is great because you're going to get a guy that's going to be, he could be a rookie of the year contender this year uh, if, if he gets up quick enough. And I think the uh, the Pirates might be looking at that prospect incentive, you know, the, the player pick incentive if you, you know, get your guy up early. I doubt they look at it, you know, that way, but ultimately they could. And that could be something that gets him up there a little bit quicker too. But I, Skeens is the one guy that I think you're collecting and not just you, I think anyone with how dynamic and, and exciting the arm is and just, you know, how popular he is. That's a guy you're taking over a lot of bats. I think even, even with the stigma of, of arms in the hobby, but swinging it back around to me, yeah. there's actually a few different names I really like in here. And, you know, by the way, Noble Meyer, no brainer pick. I think obviously Waldrips, you, you got the balance of college and, and high school. Meyer is really, really, really like talented, obviously. And the Marlins, perfect landing spot for him. But did you know his parents are both civil engineers? And so his interest in pitching, like kind of helped. They kind of started to dive into like pitch shapes and things like that. And so he's a data darling for like multiple reasons. Cause he's way ahead of his time. And they've been like honed in on pitch shapes since he was maybe going into high school. So it's, it's cool from that aspect too. Like he's, he's a nerd, like he is a junkie and I love the, the ability to maximize your arsenal when you already throw upper nineties and have that kind of stuff. So swinging it back to me, I'm going to go Ty Floyd here. Um, Floyd just, I feel like he was one of my favorite. We talked about in the drafts. He was one of my favorite underrated arms in terms of just somebody that I felt like the data was better than, Maybe people were giving him credit for because I think they were looking at a lot of the surface level stuff. But the Reds, I thought, did really well to snag this kid out of LSU. And we talk about some really good stretches. Ty Floyd on his final two starts of his collegiate career against Wake Forest in Florida, he punched out 27 in 13 innings against those two lineups. A Florida lineup, now we know how loaded it was, 17 punchies in that outing. Um, it's a fastball that's low release, 20 plus inches of vert. It's going to play immediately. So it's got that like Bryce Miller type of, uh, I think, helium in terms of the way that he can maybe fly through the minors quickly. And then the slider's good if he can command it consistently. And then he's trying to find that third pitch. But again, when you have that kind of fastball and he fills up the zone the way he does with that kind of shape, yeah. I think he can kind of have that Bryce Miller, Brian Wu type of minor league ascension um, because he is a very similar profile to them. And in a red system, that there's probably not that many guys in his way. Yep, for sure. I like it. Back to you, or do I make two? You make two. All right, I'm going Charlie Soto. Yes. He's going to go pure upside. Soto, twins pick, um, just crazy athlete, 6'4". He was a switch hitter when, you know, on the position player side of things. He's a lot more raw, I think, than Noble Meyer, and I think that's why Meyer was kind of ahead of him. But the fastball is absolutely electric. Uh, it... it Jumps out of his hand from that six four, like long extension kind of release point. He's eight, just turned eighteen years old. Um, I think there's a potential for wipeout breaking ball. He's athletic for his size. I mean, this is just the second best prep arm, and he's a big power dude. So I, I think Soto is a guy I'm definitely going to be excited to to pull and hold if I get him. And again, another system where you could see him kind of moving up quickly if he shows out well. 
Yep. All right. So you have you have three right now. I have two. So you have Skeens, Ty Floyd, Charlie Soto. Skeens with the Pirates, Ty Floyd with the Reds, Charlie Soto with the Twins. I've got Meyer with the Marlins and Waldrop with the Braves. So I'll pick two more than you pick two more than I pick my last. Okay. Uh, I am going kind of like down the board a little bit. First pick is going to be Alex Clemmy, who was a Rhode Island left-hander who was taken uh, by the Guardians this year. It was either end of the first round or beginning of the second round. And Clemmy, Bishop Hendrickson in, in Rhode Island, lank machine, like 6'6", 200 pounds, up to 99 with the fastball, and has this slurve to boot. And we were watching some video before we hopped on the recording. It is weird. Like he is drop and drive as slender man. It's bizarre. And and he's the closest thing that I think the Guardians have to a McKenzie. And we know how the Guardians develop pitching. Yeah, I think anytime I pull a Guardians pitcher, I'm I'm thinking twice about, you know, letting that, that card go. And you talk about the way he drops low and just and just pushes from that low, like sinking the hip. Imanaga-esque, but he's six what? He's long and lanky. Six, six, six three. Yeah. Six six. Jeez. Fastball's nasty. I'm I like that pick a lot. Big upside there. Okay, so Clemmy, now I go Teddy McGraw in Seattle. I knew you were going to do that. coming off of Tommy John. Here's my reasoning. Who do we laud as pitching developers? We, there's almost like a big three, right? Tampa, Cleveland, and the Dodgers. We got to add the Seattle Mariners to this because yeah. everything they've touched as of late turns to gold. Gilbert, Kirby, Hancock, Miller, Woo. Like Taylor Dollard had a two ERA before he got hurt. Like everybody is good right now. Yeah. Teddy McGraw, the consensus I think in the industry was before he went down and had TJ, I think it might've been an internal brace procedure done. Yeah. Like he was as electric as Rhett Lauder is. And it's a sinker. I like a sinker in Seattle, man. Yeah. I'm for it. So this is a guy that can, run it into the mid nineties or high nineties. Really? He can flirt with the high nineties. Uh, give me Teddy McGraw, hoping he's healthy off this big injury. upside. Uh, another big upside one. And I mean, yeah, if he's healthy, I think he could have been one of the earlier guys that we saw selected. So I'm, I'm with you. I like that a lot. Yep. Back around to me, back around to you too. I'm going wake forest again. Uh, we're going to go Sean Sullivan. I talked about how much I like the arm when we did the Rocky system, it's outlier, you know, extension, Fastball release height, just crazy jump. Enough for me to be excited enough to put him as the number 10 prospect in the Rocky system already. He can dominate with that fastball. I think if it doesn't even work out as a starter, he could be an, an elite high leverage guy, potentially even a closer with that fastball. But the sweeper off, that's gross. I think Sullivan is, I think he's going to be a really tough, tough guy to hit. It's just about whether the command is there um, and and maybe a third pitch to be a someone that can go five, six innings. But I just I know there's a big league arm in there, and I think he could be a, a wipeout type of pitcher with heavy fastball usage from that low release, high carry, uh, and great extension kind of just profile. I don't think there's many better than that. And then I'm gonna go with another just physical freak. We're going just I could play my 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 guys could be a basketball team. Jackson Wiggins, six foot seven, uh just just an electric arm too. Cubs. Right? The Cubs go out and snag him. They had to go, would they go overswap for him? I think so. Six, seven arm commands a little bit of the question, walked 14% of batters through the course of the entire season last year, uh, worked a little bit more out of the bullpen towards the end of the season, but the Cubs, another one, they're starting to develop pitching Breslow. I know he's gone, but kind of the infrastructure that he put in there, I think really helped them. Wiggins can, you know, run it up to 
upper 90s. I think he's flirted with triple digits. Uh, we we haven't seen him throw, you know, because he's recovering from injury last year. So I'm interested to see, interested to see how he comes back. But with potentially triple digits fastball, nasty slider, and a changeup that he's mixed in with some decent success in the past, Wiggins could be a a, a big time exciting arm. I'm going floor. I'm lacking a little sex appeal with my final pick. Joe Whitman, left-hander for San Francisco. Whitman's my guy. I've got some bias because I called, I think, his second-to-last college start. Um, but Whitman, what I saw was a guy that can pound the strike zone with low-to-mid-90s stuff. I assume low-90s will turn into mid-90s, just being in professional baseball and not having to go to Astronomy 104 on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 3 in the afternoon. Um <laughs> I saw a slider that was really good left on left, and he can spot it well enough against righties. Uh, and I saw a changeup that was probably better than advertised in spurts. So a three-pitch mix in a rotation that is going to need some help. There really aren't too many people blocking him in that system. I think Whitman can climb quickly if he looks like that high-floor arm, and I think he can be a, a giant's like four, five yeah. or four. We'll see. It's uh, fun arm. Yeah. Is that it? You want one That's more? It. That's it. All right. What You want to wrap up all the picks? It was. Yeah. So you went Paul Skeens with the Pirates, Ty Floyd with the Reds, Charlie Soto with the Twins, Sean Sullivan uh, with the Rockies and Jackson Wiggins with the Cubs. I went. Noble Meyer with the Marlins, or Waldrop was my first pick. Waldrop with the Braves, Noble Meyer uh, with the Marlins. Then I went Alex Clemmy with the Guardians, Teddy McGraw with the Mariners, uh, and Joe Whitman with the Giants. Those are two good rotations, man. And that's Justin Bowman draft. And those are both like really fun rotations. So I love that. Yeah. Um, also, you know, something I just remembered, we got to talk about the Juan Soto trade in the next episode. I promise you we will break down that whole return uh, next week when we have you know, probably some more trades going down and all that good stuff. But very excited to talk about those guys. We've already talked about them plenty on this show, so you can go back and probably find so many episodes where we talk about those guys. Let's talk about the final five picks of the Rule 5 draft. We'll get into that in a second. One more quick break. All right, back half of this Rule 5 draft sends us right into pick number six. St. Louis Cardinals take Ryan Fernandez from the Boston Red Sox. This is a guy that they're taking with the idea of him being a reliever, Jag. I mean, that's that's what it what it is, right? He's hard-throwing, lights out in double-A, another guy that hit the wall in triple-A, which is just interesting with these Red Sox pitchers. Um, I thought, I thought that was a, an interesting pattern here with both of these guys. Fernandez, high-velocity, Poor shape. So 25 year old that I think overpowered double A hitters. And I just don't think the velocity played the same way against triple A hitters. 95 to 97 with it, but it's it's dead zone like it it flirts with the dead zone pretty frequently. Uh, and I think that's part of the problem. The reason why I think it's a good pick or why you think he can stick is that his slider is nasty. It's upper 80s. It's wipeout. He started throwing that pitch more than his fastball as he was struggling in Triple A, and I think he just started to nibble too much. But that pitch is great if he can just figure out a way to get that fastball to you know not be point blank dead zone. You know, because 95, 97, you can get away with mediocre shape. It just can't have you know dead zone shape. Opponents at 120 against the slider, chase rate above 40 percent, swinging strike rate of 28 percent. If he can adjust the fastball shape, I think he could be a seventh inning guy. But right now it's heavy slider dependency. Hope the velocity masks the, you know, the, the, the poor shape. 
I'm fine with a bullpen arm with a heavy slider dependency. Like we saw Matt Whistler throw 90% slider in 2022. That, yeah, that fair works. enough. That he's just got to get really fine with it. Yeah, get really fine with it and mix in 96. Yeah. <laughs> Mixing in 96 is going to work. Now, yeah. relying on 96 in the dead zone is not. But, you know, if you pitch backwards and, you know, say he gets through an inning in 15 pitches and four of those are fastballs, that's that's a guy that can sustain success mm-hmm. in a big league bullpen. And if he can make any guy that seems to be the trend here is a lot of these guys with with pitch shape. If he can kill a little bit of horizontal, um, even if it's subpar pitch shape, it's just not dead zone at 95, 97, that'll be enough with that slider. Yeah. So um, I think he's got a good chance to stick. But the question is, can can he just limit the damage on that fastball? He had a 616 ERA in 30 and two thirds innings in triple A. 25 years old, though, uh, should be some sort of a middle relief guy in that Cardinals bullpen. Angels passed at number seven, number eight, and this was the sixth overall, like the sixth pick, but or I should say the seventh pick, but the the eighth selection in the in, in the order here. The Mets take Justin Slayton from Texas. This guy might be one of my favorite arms. He ends up getting traded to the Red Sox, by the way, for another prospect. So we see that sometimes, right? Uh, a, a team like the Red Sox could call the Mets and say, hey, you know, we're not going to we're afraid that Slayton's not going to be there. We'll give you, you know, a, a decent prospect because we we want Slayton that bad. And I kind of get why they want Slayton right hander that put together. I think of, of all the names we're going to talk about easily the most impressive season. Six, four through a two, eight, seven ERA and 59 and two thirds innings between double A and triple A fastball average. Ninety six also has a nasty cutter and slider um, plus velocity on the four seam. Good shape, about 19 inches of induced vertical break, only six inches of horizontal, 13% swinging strike right on the pitch. That already plays. Then you've got a cutter that underlying data was good. Opponents hit it pretty well. So I think he just was in the zone too much with it. 70% strike rate, a 40% chase rate, 18% swing strike rate. If if he can kind of locate it better, I think that's an above average pitch. Then he has a sweeper that was a really solid weapon for him against righties, held opponents to a batting average below 100 despite throwing it you know, about a third of the time against righties. So this is a guy that's not going to be able to get lefties out. His splits righty versus lefty are pretty dramatic. I think uh, righties hit 161, while lefties OPS to 885. I think he had a 385 point, 385 point difference between righties and lefties and OPS this past year. But you can kind of shelter him from lefty matchups and he could go multi-inning relief and just attack righties. And I, I think he could be a, Pretty darn good arm. This might be one of the more impactful arms that we see selected in the Rule Five for a good team. Yeah, you were saying that you were saying similar stuff about Mason Angler last year, and I think that he's very similar to Mason Angler, but with a better fastball. Yeah, seems. better stuff, I'd say. But yeah, yeah, it, this was the one that like the insiders were talking about. Like any Rule Five tweet that I saw leading up to the draft was keep an eye on Justin Slayton. He's going to go high. And I'm like, oh, okay, let's do oh. it. Um, there's something about traded rule five picks. And I, I was actually just talking about this on the just baseball show. Do you know how badly the reds could have used Blake Sable and the reds took Blake Sable in the rule five draft and then traded him to San Francisco like 12 hours later. Yeah. So I think Boston got a really good one. And I think the Mets, if slash when they have bullpen issues, going to be like, why did we trade Justin Slayton? We kind of liked him. That's why we picked him. But you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. It seems. Yep, I, I put. I, I actually tweeted out a picture 
that futuristic world. And I said, Cincinnati, if the Reds kept Blake Sable, like yeah. <laughs> they could have actually used him. I don't know if he makes that much of a difference, but I'm with you. I think he definitely helps for a team that just missed the playoffs. Um, they swapped zero catching production. Yeah. Legitimately negative. They swapped him for Ryan Amons. I hope I'm saying that right. Amons. Yeah. Ryan Ammons. Ammons. What round was he selected in this past year? He, what mostly worked out the pen was banged up out of Clemson. So uh, low, like low nineties, upper eighties. It's kind of just like a, a free prospect for them. Cause I think they also kicked in cash. They basically just gave them their pick and said, just give us a lefty. So yeah. that's kind of what they did. I like Slayton. I think he's could be the most impactful arm. And I see why a lot of people are excited about him between the fastball shape and those two, you know, again, another, another supinator. I, I think it's, I think it's fun. Pirates pass at nine. And then here's the biggest surprise of them all. And the highest upside in terms of the player that could ultimately have the most impactful big league career. It's got to be Davison De Los Santos, who was selected from the from the Diamondbacks by the Guardians. So the Guardians take Davison De Los Santos, third baseman, out of Arizona. And I think that Arizona kind of felt like, hey, if someone dares to take this guy, like, okay, we'll tip our cap. And I'm, I'm sure they're upset to lose him because he was a very popular helium prospect going into this year. So many people were amped up on him and, and understandably so. And it's like age 18, 19 season, he went nuts, finished the year in double A. Then he gets, we're assuming a full season in double A. Oh, this guy's going to break out. The EVs are insane. He actually makes some decent contact uh, in terms of his, his frequency of contact. But it was a really slow start for him. He really struggled in double A. Through his first 60 games. He slashed 203, 269, 310. Then you see him through that, that kind of stretch, um, tinkering a lot, a lot of different setups, a lot of different things. Eventually they put him on the development list. He returns July 14th and he makes some adjustments. I'll get into those in a second. But from that point forward, the subsequent 56 games in double A as a 19 and then 20 year old, Slash 322, 345, 96 with 14 home runs while cutting his ground ball rate to 12 by 12%. I can see why the Guardians wanted to take that flyer. You're getting a, a, a guy that has 30 plus home run potential that finished the year on an insane stretch and has just turned 20 years old and could start the year, you know, presumably if he wasn't selected in the rule five in AAA. I get that. They're going to need to be patient, and it's a really, really fascinating pick because it's still an extremely high-risk offensive profile. Um, and it, it's it's all about the bat with with his value, too. It's not like he's, you know, some some great defender at the hot corner. Do they have patience? Like, this is the antithesis of the Guardian way <laughs> offensively. I know, I, right? The opposite. I saw this and I was floored. I was like, what? And I texted you. And again, like, I hope he's really good. But I don't see a world where he hits 200 in the big leagues this year. He punched out 26% of the time in the Texas league. Yeah. That number, that number is going to jump like crazy. That number is going to be north of 30%. Low batting average, like sell out for power. When was the last guy that worked in Cleveland that was like that? The last guy with prospect pedigree was Bobby Bradley. That didn't work. No. And I think it's really funny that they go out and get this guy in the rule five when they have almost too frequently moved off of guys of this type too early. Like Nolan Jones, Dude, Will Nolan Benson. Jones. Yeah. Yeah. And those guys are different because those guys are patient. Um, De Los Santos, and that's the problem. 
he chases like crazy. So I, I, I think this is fun and I love this and I hope more teams do this. I thought this would be more of an A's or Nationals type of pick. Like, yeah. fuck it. Who cares? Right. Like, let's see what he does. Uh, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Uh, but if it works, he, you know, it's 30 bombs. So like, I could see a team like that doing it. I think it's interesting when the Guardians are trying to compete, they're going to use one of their 26 ro- man roster spots to, you know, put a guy in there that might not be able to give them much offensively. They're probably going to shelter him. They're going to put him in certain positions to succeed. But I wanted to talk about the swing adjustments. I love the changes he made, and I'm very much buying into that. And I think that's why the Guardians ended up taking him. He had a lot of hand movement. He really was late with his moves and like getting slotted. And he really kind of struggled to control his body. He went narrower with the stance. He adjusted his hand load to be earlier and more still. And he eliminated a lot of slack that he had. It was his hands moving in there. It's still kind of close to his body and he didn't have much of a negative move. Now he has a stretch with his back. He gets into his slot early. He's more vertical with his body. So he's able to kind of stay upright and not, you know, collapse his front side. And so he has this negative move. He creates this rubber band, this tension in his backside. He coils a lot better and being more vertical, he's able to fight that premature forward move. Those things were great for him because it allowed him to see the ball earlier and it also allowed him to, you know, kind of work behind the baseball and create more lift and also just stay back on breaking balls and not be on that front foot. It's not a coincidence that he cuts that ground ball rate by 12% when he makes those changes. That's encouraging. But again, even that 56 game stretch where he balled out 322, 345, 96, still only an end zone contact rate of 77% and a chase rate over 40%. So you could say, yeah, those changes helped. They definitely did. But you can also say there's probably some added ball luck in there and there was some some red flags for regression. You can't chase 40 plus percent contact rate below 80 percent and have success. It's very difficult. You can do that, but it's very difficult. And it's even more difficult when you're doing that in double A and now you're making the jump to the big league. So I don't know if he sticks. I think it was if you don't care about the money, which is rare for Cleveland, it was worth a flyer. See what happens. You don't often get a chance to pluck a 20 year old with 107 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velocity and numbers that he has produced in stretches. But you know, this is a leap of faith if I've ever seen one. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, I don't know. I hate to be cynical about it, but I, I don't see how this winds up being a good pick. I do think he ends up being returned to Arizona. I, yeah. I think that they're going to throw him into big league spring training. He's going to really struggle and, they just paid 50K for a two-week cameo in spring training. Yeah, the, the one thing that he is working for him, he does hit breaking balls well now that he's really made that adjustment, but velocity did chew him up at times, so it's going to be fascinating. Yeah. Pick number 11, pass, Tigers. Red Sox pass, but they did make that, you know, we did see the trade. Giants pass, Reds pass, go to the Padres at number 15 overall. Uh, they go get Stephen Kolick, 11th round pick. In 2018, they take him from Seattle. He made the bull, the move to the bullpen in 2023, and his stuff jumped up mul- multiple ticks, Jack. So he went from you know, sitting in the lower 90s to, to the mid-90s, and he has a four-seamer that picks up a ton of whiff at the top of the zone. I like Kolick because it's that fastball at the top of the zone from a low release point, and then he also has a heavy sinker that picked up a 74% ground ball rate. It's rare to see a guy low release, get that carry on a four seamer, and then also throw the sinker from a low release that generally sinkers don't play better from that spot. But when you got a high carry pitch and you can kind of change eye levels, he dominates with those two fastballs. Mostly like those are the two pitches you're going to see the most up and down. And that allows him to have consistent splits, first lefties and righties changing those eye levels. His most reliable out pitch is a sweeper. 
and it's it's fine. It, sweepers generally don't perform well against lefties. So it's if you're a righty. So it, it performs well against righties. He doesn't really have that out pitch against lefties, but he can really just go force him up, sinker down and take care of lefties. He'll sprinkle in a change up. Another guy that finished the year really well, dominated through his final 20 appearances of the season, pitching to a 0.75 ERA in 24 innings while holding hitters to a 155 batting average, 30% uh, swinging strike rate and a 61% ground ball rate. Sorry, that was a 30% strikeout rate, 61% ground ball rate. So this guy balances ground balls and strikeouts. I think he's going to stick in the Padres bullpen. So fastballs are genetic. Younger brother of? Is it actually? Mm-hmm. Tyler? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. And I'm not talking the Marquette point guard. Um, it, oh, this man. is sad reality of baseball. But Stephen Kolick was a full-time starter in AA with Arkansas in uh, 2022. He threw 143 and two-thirds innings in one year. Tyler, from 2014 to 2019, threw 163 and two-thirds innings. So Stephen had 20 fewer innings in one year than Kolick had, than Tyler had in five years this is such crazy. a sad story such I mean, a sad at least story. at least at least the brother gets a shot now too that's kinda- yeah 100 percent. you can kind of like you know live vicariously through through his career although tyler was uh, tyler and brady aiken going one and two in that draft was the biggest what if maybe an mlb draft history and just so out of their control which sucks yeah, yeah that's the part that really totally sucks, sucks. Um, but but i will say so it is genetic though and like there's some just raw arm speed and just fastball velocity to just, you just can't teach here. And I think between the four seamer and the sinker alone, like that could be enough out of the bullpen with that shape and that life. It's, it's the lowest release height of anybody taking here. I think it's five, four, five, five. That'll play. So I, I think he's a fun arm that should stick as a six, seventh inning guy for them potentially. Yeah. Hope so. Last but not least. So we'll fly through just so you know who else passed. Yankees passed at 16. Cubs passed at 17. Marlins passed at 18. Diamondbacks pass at 19. Twins at 20. Mariners at 21, Blue Jays at 22, sends us to the Rangers, the final pick, and maybe one of the more under-the-radar guys because he didn't even throw last year. So that's a fun you know, way to approach this, but it's a way to find some diamonds in the rough. Yep. Carson Coleman, Yankees' third pitcher that gets taken here. Rangers snag him, which is cool because they're actually looking for relievers, and you know, I think this is a guy that they feel like has the, the most upside. If he comes back you know, and, and he doesn't look healthy, then they can, you know, send it back. And I think the Rangers aren't worried about 50K, even with the RSN issues. He really looked good in 2022, like was electric. Underwent Tommy John surgery, so that's why we missed him in 2023. And he'll be back and ready to go this year. If not, they can, you know, stash him on the IL and buy some more time. You're able to do that for X amount of time. We saw that with with Noah Song. And Nick Enright. Yeah, and Nick Enright, unfortunately, ended up getting returned anyways with, with all, you know, the things that he's dealing with. And Song ended up getting returned anyways, too. 25-year-old that absolutely dominated through high A and double A uh, in 2022. A 2-1-3 ERA, struck out 40% of batters. With Somerset's closer, I think picked up like 19 saves. Another incredibly low release height guy, 5.4. So he actually has the lowest release point of anybody here. I mean, that's extraordinarily low. Um, average for reference is like 5-9 on a, on a four-seam fastball. Fastball sits 95, touching 98 the last time we saw him. And it's a slingshot delivery that's tough to pick up. So he will throw his fastball pretty much. He's a glove, here it comes kind of guy. 70% fastball rate. He was throwing it more than 70% of the time. Still held opponents to a 160 batting average with the pitch. 17% um, swinging strike rate and a 35% end zone whiff rate. 
that will play. So he was a 2018 Brewster Whitecap. He was also a 2019 Brewster Whitecap. So I, I got to. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Carson Coleman. Um, Coleman is an interesting cat because it, at least at that point, and I, I think it's it's still the case. He's got a little bit of that Edwin Diaz in his delivery. And I, I don't mean like limbs flying everywhere. I mean, the way that that guy kind of propels his body forward. He's releasing from way closer. And I don't have the extension numbers in front yeah. of me, but I bet he extends really well because the arm, I guess the arm swing is a little bit shorter than you would expect it to be. But with how far his body gets off the rubber, mm-hmm. I mean, that guy is getting on you and that fastball is jumping on you. It's pretty similar to Wheeler, where it's perceived velocity. Yeah. I think that guy has really high perceived velocity. Well, um, and it's so rare plays. to be able to get the low release and good extension like that. It's hard to do both of those. Yes. But sorry, go ahead. What were you both. saying? No, I think he does both. I, I yeah. think that's what he can do. And, you know, there can be innings for the Rangers and he's, you know, not being asked to be the closer. He's not being asked to be the setup guy or the second setup guy. I think there can be six. I think there can be like sixth innings where he just gets through it with eight fastballs and he gets two fly balls and a punch out. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and I think that's going to work. Like, and especially with the velocity that he he's able to get from that shape, and it's like it's like a five four flat release point, so it's almost closer to five three. To get that with most guys that are that low are going to have below average extension. So even if he has average extension, like it, it's almost like he's has elite extension from that release point. So to blend that release point with decent extension, that fastball is just going to dominate. It's also twenty four hundred RPMs from that RPM from that spot. Uh, we talked about how that that's redundant, uh, low key. Uh, no, but no, do we no want one, to get into this. No, no, not. We, this episode's already been long enough. But yeah, I think <laughs> we'll save that for another time. But to to have that spin rate, 2,500 RPM from that release point with that velocity, no wonder the guy had a thirty five percent end zone whiff rate on that fastball in twenty twenty two. He's going to stick as a reliever with the Rangers. I, I'm 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 confident in that. Yeah, hundred one punchies, nineteen walks. By the way, Damn. Yeah. Damn. That'll do it for this episode. Thank you for bearing with us for an entire Rule 5 recap. We're probably the only people on earth that are going to give you an hour and change on the <laughs> Rule 5. We did, in our defense, give you a little bit of Tops talk. Um, we'll be doing a lot more with, with Tops draft or Bowman draft and all that good stuff. So stay tuned for that. Um, definitely look forward to continuing to break out these farm systems. We will finally have Dodgers ready next week, fin- putting the finishing touches on that for the Dodgers top prospects. And we will have some some interviews coming up in the in the next couple of weeks as well, and a lot of exciting episodes. If you could take a second a second to leave a rating, that would be great. Help us grow the show. If you subscribe on YouTube, fantastic as well. And check out our Arizona Fall League recap on the Just Baseball channel. Put that out. That was a lot of fun. Everything you need to know about the season of the Fall League. Some open side video of a lot of different hitters. A lot of cool stuff there. As always, thank you for listening. Look forward to talking prospects with you next week. Have a great weekend. know how to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need viator 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.